guys, my name is Avi Govindan. I'm a stand-up comedian and aspiring TV writer, and I'm super excited to be back on The Flex Coach with my very good friend, Arsh. Okay, um, you invited me today because you want to talk about Indian culture and how Indian people kind of treat their kids as prizes instead of as children. So since you, um, since you prompted this conversation, I kind of want to hear your take on it. What your experience with that you were just telling me about? Well, for me, honestly, it's never been that significant of an issue, and I've been fortunate enough to be, um, you know, to have have uh, understanding parents that don't view me as an extension to the fullest. But it's something that's extremely prevalent, and when they're in circ- when they're in situations where, you know, that let's say they're at a that they're at an Indian gathering with Indian families and they all have kids and then that's something that comes up but it's not something that's reinforced on a regular basis or brought up or, or even used as motivation but you know like observing it from the outside I think we can both make some sort of an assessment that it's used like the idea of viewing your kids as an extension I think comes from some sense of like insecurity within yeah. the parents yeah, so I think um, there's this like model minority myth of Asians specifically, and the reason that um, Asians are so successful in America is not because we're just like genetically whatever, right. um, like just genetically better at math or whatever the racists think. Um, I think it's because uh, only those who could afford to come to America for the most part came to America. And exactly. of course, those were the most educated people. And so this idea that Indian people are, and Asian people, I should even say, um, Southeast Asian, East Asian, um, South Asian are more capable um, just is rooted in false ideology, essentially, like, um, just speaking of the sample size, but, um, so yeah, so the reason I bring that up is because every, pretty much every immigrant who comes here comes here for an idea of a better life, and so for that reason, a lot of Asian parents hold their kids to the highest of standards, like, I know we all heard about Tiger Mom, who, like, made her kids practice four different instruments, like, didn't Mm -hmm. let them have sleepovers, Um, And I think it's a give and take because um, you can force your son to pursue IT or business or medicine or engineering or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, if you just had a kid to set him on a certain path in life that you wanted for him and not something that he wanted for himself, then like, why did you even have a kid, you know? Um, But it does kind of make sense, I think, from their point of view. Um, Yeah. They have your best interest in mind but sometimes I feel like the lack of sort of awareness of how the world works and the possibilities that are available to us and our generation they're sometimes overlooked and in most cases you know it's safe to assume that the awareness of those possibilities isn't accepted yeah yeah the existence of those possibilities isn't really accepted because they can't they really don't have any reference point like they can't relate to it yeah um yeah i mean i 100 percent agree i remember and uh you know with stem professions um money and financial stability and success are essentially guaranteed once you get the degree um i mean like if you have a business or engineering degree you're a lot more likely to do better in the job field as opposed to like 
people who pursue like English or fine arts or visual right, arts right. or piano or whatever. Um, so in that sense, I kind of agree that, and that's what my parents always said, um, is that like we have your best interests in mind. We don't want you to struggle financially. Um, but, which makes sense. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. But then also I felt this like increased pressure to pursue things that I was unhappy with. Like I remember, and I think I talked about this last time I was on your podcast, but I remember um, I... In college, so I, in high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do film and television, but my parents were like, "No!" Like they didn't even let me apply to NYU film school. Um, and then because they were like, "Indian girls don't do film," and so my entire time in high school, I like convinced myself I wanted to be a doctor because that's what my mom was. Right. And everyone was like, "Oh, you got to follow in Kalyani's footsteps." Um, and then I got to college, and organic chemistry kicked my ass. Like I really, <laughs> really liked chemistry uh, intro chem. It was really fun for me, but organic chemistry was not fun at all. And so I was like, I don't want to do med school if, if these are the kinds of classes that I'm are the classes I'm going to be taking for the next like eight years. Right. Um. So I dropped pre med and then I pursued pre law and then I did an internship. Like I really wanted to take the Kamala Harris route of like um, being a lawyer and then being a DA and then running for office. Mm -hmm. But then I um, did an internship with the public defender's office and it made me realize how corrupt the legal system is. Um, like we had access to something called a bad cop database and um, every time one of our clients was arrested by a cop. So do you know what a public defender is? Mm -hmm. So um, for anyone who doesn't know, um, when they read you your Miranda rights, one of the things they say is, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. And public defenders are those attorneys that are appointed to you. They're paid by the government. And they're very overworked and underpaid. And so we had Definitely. access to a bad cop database. And um, every time a client was arrested, we would put their badge number, or the arresting officer's mm -hmm. badge number, and pretty much like all of them had open cases against them for abuse, assault, like racism. And I, at first I was like, it's just a few bad apples, but then I was like, holy shit. Like, as a policeman, you're either corrupt or you're enabling a corrupt system, and therefore corrupt. Anyways, okay. <laughs> philosophical argument aside, the reason that I bring this up is because, I, like, throughout college, throughout high school and throughout college, I, like, dabbled in all of these potential career paths, um, and... I, like, watched my friends slowly become themselves. Like, friends that I had met in college who were just as clueless as I was by the mm. end of college were like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, like, one of my friends that I started out pre-med with was like, oh, I want to be an English teacher. Like, I really want to help kids. Another one that I started college with, like, ended up pursuing engineering and, like, biology and all these things. So um, you saw the character development. Yeah, but I, at the end of college, I didn't feel that at all. Like, I was still very unhappy with pre-law and like what I was pursuing and then um I got scouted by two Hollywood managers and they were like we really want to represent you for tv writing and I had no idea how to do tv writing so they patiently taught me over the course of this past year um and all of this is to say that the opportunity is out there like I serendipitously um like encountered my two Hollywood managers who were like we want to help you um and a lot of kids don't get that chance like I was lucky enough to have parents that allowed me to experiment. And the only reason they allowed me to experiment is because I wore them down, essentially. <laughs> like, um, they were like, you can't do comedy. And I was like, well, try to stop me. Because I was in New York and they were in Houston. Like, what, right, they, what right, were they right. going to do? And they ended up being really good at stand-up and, like, developing a, a following online. And, um, you know, so what I'm saying is that there are opportunities for Indian kids and all 
Asian kids and all immigrant kids who feel pressure to pursue a certain line of work for success in career fields that you don't think you can pursue. Um, and I kind of just like accidentally stumbled upon a career in TV writing and I don't even have a job yet. Like it's something I'm pursuing, but, um, that just goes to show, and that goes to show that Hollywood isn't as hard to get into as people make it out to be. It's just gatekeepy because the people who are already in decide that they don't want to make it any easier for the people that are coming in. Well, I think, I mean, you could speak, you know, a little bit more on that if you'd like, but for my sort of, or if I had to make an assumption, I'd say that they're also struggling. Like a lot of people that are in that space, uh, especially, you know, that are new in that space, really have to work hard and really have to get the next gig or whatever it may be to pay their bills. Yeah, um, so I'm a little not... bit, You know, they appreciate the work that it takes to get there, and so they expect people below them or who are on the come up to put in, you know, the equal amount of work or even more. Yeah, so I had a supervisor once, um, not going to say where, not going to say her name, but she was very of the belief she was in her field she was a little bit older and in her field she was the first woman to do what she was doing in in film and tv production and she was very much of the belief that i had to like fight and claw my way up here in a field of men so like you have to too um and i just like i'm not of that belief at all like i'm not talking about like people lateral to me who are like working film gig to film gig to, to pay rent i'm talking about like well-off successful people in Hollywood and I am friends with so many TV writers who regularly tell me stories of how Hollywood execs protect like serial sexual assaulters and like um, go out of their way to gatekeep the industry in terms of like if you're related to someone who's already famous you'll get handed your own TV show or you'll get handed your own movie starring role or whatever but then there are these legitimately talented people who just don't have the connections to get there get in the pitch room Um, So even, like, I don't even have that much influence at all, but I have a talent scout that I'm in contact with, and every time I see someone funny on the internet, or, like, every time one of my friends, like, says, like, oh, I have a pilot, I wish pilot is, like, a first episode of a TV show, um, that I wish someone would read, I'm always just like, oh, let me forward your information to the talent scout, and, like, it's... always willing to help. Yeah, 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 and it's, like, see, and I don't even have that much power yet, but it's literally so easy to take the influence that you have and use it for good, and the fact that, like... Yeah, and the fact that, like, people actively choose to not do that is really upsetting to me. Um, It's it's kind of a famine mentality thing. I feel like people think that if you uh, enter the space or if you have some sort of a come-up, that it takes money out of their pocket. And yeah, exactly. I feel like I feel like in this day and age though the beauty of the internet is that you don't really need the cosign. You could create your own show, you could do whatever you want. And if it if it works, if it really connects with people, then you don't need, you know, these these quote unquote gatekeepers or even people higher up on the hierarchy to give you that green light or to put you in positions where you can profit or, you know, create something bigger. I understand in terms yeah. of like the infrastructure and the money behind it, but like, we see this all the time where, you know, um, I don't know if you're if you're a fan of Andrew Schultz. Like, I don't know what your preferences are in terms of comedy, but what he's done is amazing. He just posts his clips on YouTube, and they do well, and he makes money off of that. And then, you know, he doesn't really need a cosign in terms of that. Yeah. Now, I don't want to get into the content and the kind of, you know, topics that he talks about. I, I think that's, that's very uh, objective, but... In terms of his business model and what he's done, I think that's an indicator to anyone that it can be done that way. 
Yeah, um, you. I mean, you would think. Um, I am currently pitching a podcast with another internet comedian, and we're both young women of color who don't really have connections um, in the podcast, like companies, industry movement, what have you. Right. Um, but we both have large followings online, and so and the podcast concept did very well. So I like tweeted the podcast concept as a joke, and like twenty thousand people liked it. I got like two thousand retweets, like hundreds of people responding, like please make this, I would listen. And so kind of with our combined following and the tweet, we thought, okay, this should be relatively easy to get past. But it's it's been a very difficult concept. Or it's been Why a do you need to get it past? Um so a lot of people were like, oh, you should just start a Patreon. And pa- you know what a Patreon is? When you mm-hmm. when you do a podcast, people like subscribe. And of course, but um, when I say get it past, I mean, it's a lot easier when you work with a podcast network to do it because their level of involvement and your level of involvement can vary, but it can make your life a lot easier. So like um, with one of the podcast companies that we talked to, we would literally just record like an hour two hours whatever we could go on as long as we wanted or as short as we wanted and we would send it over and they would take care of everything we just they'd make like, the clips and yeah they they make the clay yeah. they'd make the clips they'd distribute it they'd put edit in the advertisement so we wouldn't have to worry about like finding sponsors and stuff so in that sense that's why we wanted to, wanted to reach out to podcast networks and, and we thought that um i mean we thought that that gauging interest in our podcast would be relatively easy um given both of our like large platforms and also the tweet concept doing well but it hasn't been and um you know my friend and i were both talking and we were like this is like we're seeing we always hear these stories but we're seeing it in real time Mm -hmm. um what's your sort of uh what's your perceived reasoning behind um i think that i think that when you don't have connections in this industry it's just a lot harder for people to take you seriously on top of the fact that we're both young women of color who are very vocal about like issues that we're passionate about including like social justice and like Mm -hmm. sexual assault and like uh racial justice you know so i think that all of these do have an impact on um the likelihood of a podcast network to pick us up also when i say young i mean we're young like i'm 23 and my potential co-host is 25 um, and people who are into podcasting are, of course, like 31, 32, um, usually on, in the late 20s, early 30s range. And so I understand that. Like, or 23. Yeah, 23. Yeah. Um, well, I'm exactly. So I understand that like picking up a podcast from a couple of, of younger people is a risk. But we feel like we've shown already that it's a risk that's paid off. And without alienating anyone else, um, we do know of people who have walked into these same podcast companies that we have pitched to um, and walked out with a podcast with essentially little to no effort. Um, and they're and they're usually white men. So like, I, Can I comment on that real quick? I think a lot of this, in my understanding, I think all these networks and, you know, just the climate in general prefers entertainment and sort of a... Um, I have to be careful how I word this, but um, they prefer, you know, sort of an entertaining, cl- uh, not claim, you know what I'm trying to say, like call her daddy is kind of entertaining and it's like very edgy, you know <laughs> what I mean? Get me started. Yeah. So the they, they the maybe com- they prefer that over like um, real topics that really, you know, affect people's lives and that could really help other people. They prefer the entertainment aspect. Listenership. So, 
Yeah, um, I mean, it, there's a lot of, of factors that go into it. And of course, it could also just be serendipitously that like no one finds our podcast con- concept interesting or they don't want to invest in it, whatever. So I don't want to like objectively say like this is the reason we've been turned down. I'm just saying that like even with the influence that we have, even with the connections that we have, like both me and my co-host have managers. Um, even with the friends that we have, both my co-host and I are friends with several people at these podcast companies that we pitch to people with less influence than us, people with less connections than us of a certain demographic um, have walked into these podcast companies and walked out with their own podcast. So, I mean, again, it could be serendipitous. It could not be related at all, but it's just very frustrating to have to deal with that. Like to no, watch people, that, yeah. yeah, to watch people who, who are objectively just don't have as much credentials walk in and, and like walk out with the podcast. But I think the credentials in this space are determined by, you know, what you're putting out and how it's being received. And that's why there's, you know, I mean, what I would honestly recommend is just starting it on your own. Yeah, you don't that's have what to, You don't have to distribute it. You don't have to worry about sponsors. Like if you're really interested and passionate and like, you know, spreading awareness of certain topics or speaking or providing your perspective, then... It would be a comedy podcast. I mean, obviously we talk about social justice issues, but it, it's at its core, it's a comedy podcast. I feel like if you just started with your following and the other person's following... It would do really well, and you wouldn't really need. Yeah. And I mean, you know, eventually companies do reach out, and um, there's a lot of platforms online that make things easier. Um, my sponsorship with Anchor has ended, but they have been. You know, it's one of the easiest ways to make a podcast. And yeah. They, they match you with sponsors, and they bring you. Um, they act as your network, and yeah. they take. You know, they do take a percentage, but I feel like to start off, it's not really that significant in terms of you know, what's coming in anyway, but just to get it out there, I feel like you should just do it anyway, you know, instead of relying on these networks, because all these things are going to be, they're going to evaporate, and they, they have evaporated to an extent, but yeah, even further, they're, they're not going to be relevant, like yeah. YouTube's not going to be relevant in like five years. Yeah, you're so right. Well, I mean, the reason I, I brought this up even is to say that like you like pursuing this career field and any arts career field is a risk in general, but pursuing it as a non-white person is especially a risk. Um, and uh, we always have these conversations about like privilege and, and the um, extent of privilege, but I think that's clearest. Actually, I think it's pretty clear in all um in all career fields, but I think it's especially clear in comedy and TV and film. Um, there's also, I'm fortunate, like after college, I moved back home, um, and I'm fortunate enough to be able to live with my parents until my career takes off. And and a lot of people do choose to do that. A lot of people's parents choose to pay their rent, um, in New York and LA while they're pursuing their career field. Um, oh, what's that noise? Any, power washing. Yeah, anyways. Um, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be able to move back home, but there are lots of people who could not, who can't move back home. Like, they have right. to succeed in comedy in order to support their family. And I've accepted that my privilege has had a large part to play in my success as a comedian. And I feel like we should be a lot more honest about that instead of hiding that. Um, 1,000%. Yeah, because um, I do know a lot of wealthy people in comedy and TV and film who cosplay as poor, who will be like, oh, um, um, like just, act like they're struggling. Yeah, act like so they're struggling. More. Yeah, act like they're struggling when you know they know that like if they really are struggling, their parents will send them money or something if they need it. But I feel like it's like the ovarian lottery, you know, example. You don't really get to choose or pick how it happens. 
It's, it's, it's essentially like, you know, Warren Buffett said it. Yeah, does. of course, of course. And I'm, I'm ext- I feel extremely lucky to be born to my parents. But you're saying you should talk about it, like be more transparent with, with yeah, the trans- world about yeah. your situation and how things are for you compared to, you know, what they may be for someone else. Yeah, exactly. So I think that a lot of gatekeeping, both in Hollywood and in, in pretty much any industry, is because of a lack of openness. Like, I'm very much of the belief that, like, you should look laterally at your colleagues, at your friends, and discuss, like, how much you guys are getting paid, like, what opportunities, how did you get this job, um, like, who reached out to you. And so I'm very honest about that with my following. Like, I'm always like, yes, I'm privileged. Like, I am from a wealthy family in Houston. Um, I'm Indian. I'm upper caste, which, of course, carries a lot of privilege in the United States. Like, a lot of Indian people like to believe that the caste system doesn't function in America when it very much functions in America. You should educate yourself about that, yeah. I agree about that. Um, Yeah, so, and I mean, like, my story is very, very, very similar to a lot of Indian people's stories in, um, in Hollywood. Like, most most of the mainstream famous Indian people that you see in Hollywood had wealthy parents. And so in that sense, we need more representation from people who are from Indian backgrounds, who are from South Asian backgrounds, who mm-hmm. didn't have, who weren't afforded the same privileges. Um, like pretty much every single like mainstream famous Indian person you can think of grew up like wealthy, had a parent who's a doctor. And I mean, that's myself included. And, and I'm, I'm really honest about that because I think that being honest about it is better than pretending that it's not true. Um, and I feel like being honest about it also opens up these conversations in Hollywood about privilege. And so initially we were talking about how Indian parents make it hard <laughs> to pursue mm-hmm. careers that they're not happy with. But I think there's an intersection. I think you can both be unhappy with the culture of your family and the culture of the community that you grew up in and also acknowledge the privileges that it provides to you. Um, yeah, I mean, definitely makes sense to be aware yeah. of everything that factors into you know, your life and what you end up pursuing and how you get to where you get. But at the end of the day, I feel like if we shift the emphasis from the privilege to what you do with that privilege, you know, instead of just talk, and I agree with your point of being transparent, but I think instead of talking about the privilege, because a lot of people know it exists, majority of people, almost everybody knows the level of privilege that exists in various different categories, but what you do with that privilege is more important than just talking about it. And if you, if you are privileged and if you can help some, someone out, you know, like you were talking about just helping people out, become more, um, or, you know, sending someone that you think is talented to, to your scouts or whatever. But I feel like that's the most important part. And part of why I do my podcast is because I understand, like, I, I have an awareness of where I'm at in life. And I feel like if I can just talk about certain things that I didn't, you know, hear growing up or no one talked about to, to me growing up, I could help some people. And a lot of people reach out. And it's actually an overwhelming amount for me considering the following that I have on social media but it's still like feels really good to have people you know talk to you about their problems and I'm like man if I had that maybe I would be a few levels you know ahead on the hierarchy but I can help people skip steps in their lives so it just feels good and that's all I focus on I don't focus on you know who's really gatekeeping my success or like the follower count you know dictating yeah, yeah. How, how much money I have like all that stuff 
maybe maybe in what I do it really isn't as relevant and maybe I can't really honestly I can't relate to your situation but maybe I don't fully understand okay so let me give you a hypothetical um, here so if you decided today that you wanted to pursue film and TV writing you'd probably have a better chance of breaking into the industry than someone who is who has been doing film and TV writing for 10 years but who is severely poor has to support their family back home and has thousands of dollars in debt from film school right and the reason that you'd be more likely to succeed is because you have financial stability you have a lot of free time right you work a nine to five but um a nine to five is a nine to five and you don't have to work extra hours in order to meet like your basic needs like a roof over your head and food in your mouth and so you have that downtime and the financial stability to um pay for screenwriting classes or even if you don't want to pay for screenwriting classes there's so many youtube classes that people learn from right but that's free though if if you're if you're saying it's like a time thing i feel like we all have the same 24 hours and Let's say, you know, I'm a little less pressured to work extra hard to, to sustain myself. I understand that. But there's some people that don't have to work at all. And then there's some people that have to work 16 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. So it's like that relativity that exists isn't really... Um, yeah. And so what I'm saying is that if we have open conversations about it, then like as opposed to pretending that um, Hollywood is just a matter of funny is funny or like qualified is qualified. Like I think a really, really good example. And again, I don't want to make any enemies, so I'm not going to name any names. But a lot of a lot of kids of famous directors, of famous celebrities are handed movie roles, are handed director roles. Like um, I know of one kid in particular who was given an executive producer credit on her dad's film when she was like 15 or 16 like there's no way she was capable of being an executive producer at age 15. you think that's just so she receives like royalties off of that for the rest of her life it doesn't even matter because um i mean her dad is already going to get paid for being the director of the film so um i it doesn't matter as much as it like it starts a conversation about how hollywood is mostly about connections and privilege and so the reason i brought this hypothetical to you is because Um, you, like, objectively in this case, compared to the person who's been writing for 10 years, have more experience, or sorry, um, they have more experience than you, objectively. They know know the craft better, but because, yeah, by virtue of you having more money and time, you are able to, like, you have, you're free on the weekends, like, you don't have to work three jobs to, to get food, so you're free on the weekends to, like, hone your craft, like, pay someone to teach you screenwriting, learn it for free on YouTube, whatever, and so, these are conversations that I think we need to be more transparent about because we all love a feel-good story of like a kid from a low-income background. Started from the bottom. Yeah, started from the bottom, but it that should be a more common story if that makes sense. And so that's why I have these conversations, and that's why like I'm very open to people on Twitter where I'm like, if you are like I do calls for submissions semi-regularly where I'm like, oh, if you're low-income, if you're um, Indian, but you're not Hindu. Like a lot of a lot of Indian people in Hollywood are Hindu, and that I mean that carries over a lot of privilege Dude, because one hundred percent. Yeah, um, because I mean Hindu nationalism is a huge problem in India. That's a whole conversation we're not going to get to get over to. So I'm like, okay, if you're non Hindu Indian pursuing a career in, in in comedy or TV writing, like reach out to me. I'll put you in touch with my channel scout. Yeah. Yeah. So. Those, yeah, those are conversations that I try to have pretty regularly because I think uh, if we, if more of us had those conversations, we'd all be better because of it.